Devora Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. Hey, good morning, everybody. We're beginning another bracha in Shmona Esrei, the 11th bracha. Before we begin, I just want to um, let you know about who sponsored the class. So this class was sponsored by Caroline Perlmutter as a yurt site for her, her mother's yurt site is, I think, today or tomorrow. Uh, today, Caroline? Yeah, yeah. Uh, her name was Hannah Bat Shmuel. And uh, just a little bit about Hannah. Unfortunately, she passed away at 34 years of age. Caroline was only a year old at the time. And of course, her absence was felt acutely while Caroline was growing up. But when she became a mother herself 18 years ago, the feeling of um, that absence changed. She said for the first time she was able to feel her mother's presence and guidance while raising my young children. And she's grateful to Hashem for the healing that took place. Her mother was a loving, affectionate, and gentle soul. The class is also sponsored by Ruchi Weinless in memory of her dear father, Harav Chaim Elimelech ben Yitzchak Aryeh, Rabbi Hoshander, who was rabbi at the Shul Shari Shemayim for many, many years. My husband wanted me to uh, talk a little bit about him from his perspective, because my husband grew up in Shari Shemayim, and he said that Rabbi Hoshander was the rabbi while he was a teenager and a young adult, and that Rabbi Hoshander was what you would call a real rabbi's rabbi. He was an eloquent speaker. He was very dignified. He was excellent with people and had tremendous pastoral skills. He was a Talmud Chacham, and his neshama should have an aliyah. Harav Chaim Elimelech ben Yitzchak Aryeh. So thank you to our sponsor. Sorry, I'm just going to very bright here. Okay. So thank you to our sponsors and for anybody who wants to sponsor future classes, you can just get in touch with me at devoravale at yahoo.ca and I'll tell you how we do it. Um, so there's a lot of refua shalemas also. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people who are not well. With COVID, just a couple of names, Shlomo Noach ben Fega Bracha, Ayam, Shmuel Yosef ben Devora. I think it's Binyamin. And Chava, and all those who need a refuah. Okay, so we are beginning uh, our 11th, the 11th prayer in Shimona Esrei, which speaks all about justice. If you want to turn to it in your Sidurim, if you have a sitter, it's in the request section, obviously, and it's the 11th bracha, and there's a symbolism to the fact that it's prayer 11. Um, it's called Din. This prayer is called Din, which means the restoration of justice. And I'll just read it for you. Hashiva uh, Shoftenu. Oh, you know what? Before I start, I just wanted to say in, in, um, in last week's Parsha, Beshalach, 
just a reminder about the power of prayer we have at the end of the Parsha, the war with Amalek. The Jewish people have just come through uh, Kriyas Yamsuf. The, the sea has just split for them. And yet we know that there's this nation, Amalek, that is, uh, that's only sole raison d'etre in the world is to do harm to the Jewish people. And so they are not encumbered by all of the incredible miracles that the Jewish people have experienced. And they come and attack the Jews. And very interestingly, we, they, we, we learn here that when Moshe's arms are up, the Jewish people win. But when Moshe's arms are down, the Jewish people begin to lose against Amalek. And the symbolism there is the idea that is central to the Jewish people and to the idea of prayer is that when the Jewish people remember that it's God who fights our battles, that it's Hashem himself who de determines our success and the results of our efforts, then we are victorious, then we are able to win. But when we fool ourselves and we, we forget Hashem, and when we start to believe in our own power and our own strength and our own abilities, that uh, the story tells us very clearly is when we begin to lose. So the idea, again, the power of prayer, which is what, which is why we're going through the Shemona Esrei, because we know that the words themselves have a tremendous power. And of course, when we understand the words that we're saying, so this gives us even more, right, energy behind the words, and it makes it very personal for each one of us. Okay, so the prayer today, as I said, is, is on the restoration of justice. It comes after the prayer where we ask for redemption for the Jewish people, the return to the Jewish people together, biyachad, in unity, back to the land of Israel, which I read, uh, I think, over Shabbos. The land of Israel is compared to the, to, the to the belly button, to the center of the body, the stomach right in the center where the umbilical cord is attached through to the mother, through to the, to the uh, fetus inside the mother. And the symbolism there is that Eretz Yisrael is the center of the world, just like this part of the body is considered to be the center of the body. And of course, all of the nourishment that goes from mother to baby while the baby's still inside the womb the idea here, again, going back to our prayer on bracha and prosperity and parnasa, that all of the bounty of the world begins in Eretz Yisrael, in the central point of the universe, right, compared to the center of the body. And so when we go back to Eretz Yisrael, not only do we see a blossoming of the physical world, but one of the prerequisites for going back to Eretz Yisrael, we said also, is the Achdus, the unity of the Jewish people that has to be there even before we begin um, the process of total redemption. And together with that is the idea of the restoration of justice, prayer 11, that we're going to talk about now. Okay? That, uh, that Israel will be ruled by a just system based on the Torah with true judges and, you know, people who are, uh, have integrity and honesty, etc. Hashiva Shoftenu Kevari Shona. Restore our judges as in earliest times. The Yoatsenu Kevatrila. And our counselors as at first. The Haser Mimenu Yagon Anacha. Remove from us sorrow and groan. Umalo Chalenu Ata Hashem Levadecha. 
and reign over us, you Hashem alone. Bechesed uvarachami, with kindness and compassion. Bitsadkenu bamishpat, and justify us through judgment. Baruchata Hashem, Melech Ohev Sadaka Umishpat. Blessed are you, Hashem, the King who loves righteousness and judgment. Okay, so let's talk about this prayer. First of all, there's many sources in the Torah that tell us about the concept of judgment, right? In, in the in Devarim, um, <clears throat> Perak 16, chapter 16, Pasuk 20. Can I ask a question? Where, which, just tell me what the, which um, bracha this is. Oh, which is this bracha is story? So this bracha is, is, that is a story. Bracha 11, it starts, Hashiva Shoftenu. Comes after Tigkab Shofar Gadol Echeru Okay, for those of you who are looking for it in your sitter, Shiva we're going to go through each. Yeah, Hashiva Shoftenu Kibar Okay, I've got to find it. Okay, thank you. Got it? But I can take a drink of coffee. I don't got it yet. <laughs> okay, don't worry. We're not looking at it directly at this point. But okay, so many, many places in, in the Torah that talks about justice. So just a couple of examples. It says, you shall not pervert justice. You shall not show favoritism. And you shall not take a bribe. For bribery, we all know this. This is famous, right? For bribery blinds the eyes of the wise and perverts just words. So the fact that this bracha follows the bracha on the ingathering of the Jewish people is the idea that at that time there'll be a reestablishment of just of the justice system. And one of the main reasons for our, our being banished from our country, being literally spewed out of the land, was because of the corruption and perversion of justice. And the idea of this bracha is that when Jews unite properly under God, the justice system will not be undermined again. Okay, so the significance of the number 11 and why the Chachamim, why the Anshe Knesset HaGadola chose the, this bracha to be number 11 is because of the um, David HaMelech, different great leaders reduced the Torah to um, uh, they reduced the 613 mitzvot to, to um, condensed principles that they said encapsulate all of the Torah. For example, we just read in Parshas Yisro, we read about the Ten Commandments. So within the Ten Commandments, we are told that all 613 mitzvot are present. And just an allusion to that is the idea that when you add the add the number six plus one plus three, you get the number ten, right? So that if you could um, extract everything from every commandment, you would come up with the six hundred thirteen mitzvot. So David Amelech was one of these leaders who said that the whole Torah could be reduced to eleven principles of conduct, and they're encapsulated in Psalm fifteen. Okay, but if you look at that psalm, whatever, you'll see, Mizmor David Hashem mi yagur ba'ahalacha, who is the one who will dwell in your tents? 
who will dwell on your holy mountain? The one who walks in perfect innocence and does what is right. The Dover MS Bilbavo, he speaks truth from his heart. Lo Ragal Alishono, he has no slander on his tongue. Loa Salarehu, he's not done uh Ra'al evil to his fellow. The Herpalo Nasal Krovo, or he has not cast disgrace upon his close one. Um, in English, I'll just read it. A contemptible person in his eyes is repulsive, but those who fear Hashem, he honors. One who can swear to his detriment without retracting. His money he does not lend with interest. And this is the main reason I'm reading you this. And a bribe against the innocent he does not take. Okay. The doer of these will not falter forever. So this, this Tehillim encapsulates the 11 principles of the way a human being is supposed to treat another human being. And thereby will, so to speak, live um, by living these laws between man and man, he and going actually beyond the letter of the law, which is what this this Tehillim uh, talks about. Somebody who goes beyond the letter of the law in Hebrew, we say lifni mishura tadin, right? That he is the one that God is talking about here. In the Talmud, this phrase describes a judge who is scrupulous. In, avoid, in avoiding the slightest trace of bribery. Because as we said, bribery blinds the eyes of the wise. Now the Gemara is full of stories that demonstrate the degree and the extent to which our great judges and people went to making sure that they would never judge from a place of bias. And they were so careful that there was no bias, that they would not be bribed in any way. And I'll just give you a few of the stories here, okay? Um, so this is in uh, Ksubos 105b, where there's a few stories here. So the rabbis taught in a Baraisa, and a bribe you shall not take. The, the Gemara records several examples of such bribes. What is an example of a bribe of words? So there was a guy named Shmuel, who was crossing a bridge, a guy, he was a great rabbi, excuse me, he was one of the Amorim, he was one of the <laughs> great rabbis of our traditions, okay, he was crossing a bridge, and somebody reached out his hand to help him over it, and, and Shmuel said to him, what is your business, and he answered Shmuel and said, I have a lawsuit to be tried in your court, and Shmuel said to him, well, I'm disqualified now from rendering judgment for you for the simple fact that you extended your hand to help me over this bridge. Here's another example. A Mimar was sitting and judging a case when a feather flew onto his head. A certain man approached and removed the feather. A Mimar asked him, what's your business? He answered him, I have a lawsuit to be tried in your court. Amaimar told him, well, I'm disqualified from rendering judgment for you. Another example, Mar Ukfa was about to encounter something disgusting that had been cast in front of him. A certain man approached and covered it. What is your business? He, what is your business? He answered him, I have a lawsuit to be tried in your court. Mar Ukfa told him, I'm disqualified from rendering judgment for you. So this is how careful they were that if anybody did anything, right? 
they felt that they were no longer able to judge the case fairly. One more story that's brought down in the Gemara here. So there was a sharecropper who leased an orchard of the orchard of Rabbi Yishmael, the son of Rabbi Yose. And what he would do is even though it was this Rav's farm, he was doing the work on it because the Rav were told was too busy learning Torah to take care of his farm. So this man took care of uh, the orchard and every Friday he would bring uh, Rav uh, Yishmael the fruit from the farm for him. One day he brought it early, he brought it on Thursday. And Rav Yishmael asked him, why are you bringing it on today? And the sharecropper answered him, you know what, I have a lawsuit in court today, and I was coming anyway, so I figured I'll just bring it to you early. Instead of bringing it on Friday, like I usually do, I'm going to bring it on Thursday. So Rav Yishmael did not accept uh, this uh, fruit from him and told him, I'm disqualified from rendering judgment for you. He appointed a pair of rabbis who, who began to try the sharecropper's case for him. Um, and he said, he explained to his students, not only did I not take it, even though it wasn't even something he was giving me as a gift, it was my fruit, it was my own property. But because he was bringing it to me a day early instead of the time that he usually brought it, that in itself was enough for me to already be biased in my ability to judge him fairly, okay? And he says, if this is the case with my own, with my own possessions, then how, the more, how much more so when those people who accept bribes from property that isn't theirs? Okay, so there are many, many stories like that, this, that really show um, the incredible just tell you one more. Um, oh, another one. The Rav, the great rabbi of Babylonia, was conducting his base dean, his court of law, when a man came and asked to speak to him. The stranger was well dressed, confident, and smiling. He turned to Rav as if he were his close friend. Greetings, honored rabbi. Do you recognize me? You remember, no doubt, that you were a guest in my home and that I did my utmost to make your stay as pleasant as possible. Yes, answered Rav, I remember visiting you and I appreciated your hospitality. How can I help you? Oh, I have a small matter to settle, said the visitor with a broad smile. I'm involved in the Dean Torah and I hope you're going to be the presiding judge in the case. Then he winked as if to say, I expect the return of a favorite for my courtesy to you. But Rav would not even look at him. I'm sorry, but I'm disqualified as a judge in your case, for you have reminded me of your kindness towards me. I cannot be an impartial judge in a case where one of the parties has done me a favor. Anyway, the story goes on. This man gets very angry, etc., and he insists he try his case, and he refuses to do so. So these are just some examples of the incredible... Um, Careful, the, the careful scrutiny which the judges of Israel would judge the, themselves before being able to judge a case in terms of whether or not they would have bias. And of course, another famous idea, right, is that you should not have bias against the poor, right? If there is a wealthy person and a poor person going to a Dean Torah, 
very often the natural way for a judge to judge is either towards one or the other, depending on his bias. And so a judge has to be very, very careful to be able to look at the litigants with total objectivity and recognize the bias that may be pushing him one way or another. Okay, the number 11 also alludes the Vilna Gaon teaches us, the reason why this bracha is number 11, to the five books of Moshe, the Chumash, right? At Bereshi, Shemot, Baikra, Bamidbar, Devarim, and also the six books of the Mishnah, which equal 11, because these are the 11 works which every scholar must know and uphold in order to be appointed a judge. So in the beginning of this bracha, we say, Hashiva Shotenu Kavari Shona, restore our judges as in earliest times. So Rav Yosef ben Elisha, a Rav from the Gemara, said, if you see a generation plagued with many miseries and catastrophes, check out the judges of Israel. Because all tragedies are caused by corrupt judges and law enforcement officers. And it reminds me of Megillat Ruth that we read on Shavuot, which I don't have in front of me, but I believe it begins, It was in the days when the judges were judging. This was a Megillah written by Shmuel Hanavi, Shmuel the prophet. And right away, the Meforshim asked the question, what does this mean the judges were judging? We know that when it comes to holy Torah uh, writings, you know, we are, every word has a meaning. And when there's extra words, you have to ask a question. It should just say it was in the time when there were judges. Of course, judges judge. But the rabbis ask, what is this double Lashon? And there's all kinds of different interpretations, but the idea was that it was a corrupt time. There was no leader in Klal Yisrael, no leaders. And the judges were judging each other, meaning that nobody had respect for the judges, not the people themselves and not the judges themselves. And therefore it goes right into Vayihi Ra'ab Ba'aretz, and there was a famine in the land. And the idea was that whenever there is a spiritual corruption, Whenever there's a famine, so to speak, of leaders, of proper Jewish judges, then naturally there will be spiritual ramifications and there will be a famine in the land. By the way, the word Vayihi, which we're going to be reading soon in Megillus Esther, right? Vayihi bimei achashverosh. Whenever you have that word, it's always um, letting you know that something negative is about to happen. Oh, really? Yeah. And you want to know something interesting. And that's why Jews actually say, oy vey. Okay, we say oy vey <laughs> because we're really saying oy vav. Because if, it's just, if it just says yehi, it's different. If it says vayehi, then it means that something negative is about to happen. Okay? And this is something that is consistent. So when we say oy vey, what we're really saying is oy vav. Now you can win the Jewish uh, Trivial Pursuit game. Okay. All right. So he says, if you see, and, and this was the way it was, it was a very, there was, it was a very sorry state of the judicial system during the first temple times. 
There was a tremendous amount of corruption and all kinds of people who were in power who shouldn't have been. It says at that time that men of influence paid handsomely to have their dishonest and unqualified relatives appointed to the bench. Even Torah scholars used their prestige to help their ignorant relatives acquire judgeships. And Isaiah, when he speaks, Yeshayahu, about Jerusalem, this is what he's referring to when he says, how has the faithful city become a harlot? It had been filled with justice, righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. Okay, so this is what it's referring to. It's referring to the justice system and how crooked it became. And God basically promises that in future times, he says, I, will, I shall restore, and this is where they get this, the words in this bracha from, I shall restore your judges as in earliest times and your counselors as at first. And you'll be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed with justice and those who return to her with righteousness. And so this is what we mean at the very beginning of the bracha when we say, Ashiva shoftenu kevari shonam, that you should restore the judges that we used to have in earlier times before this corruption that happened during the first temple. This is what we desire when we pray these words. This is the natural continuation of going back to the land of Israel and living in the land of Israel as a place that becomes an or lagoyim, right? A light to the nations in terms of its justice system and the integrity and scrupulousness and, and righteousness of those who will judge. Now, another concept of judgment is a very Jewish idea that judgment is not only confined to the courtroom, that we ourselves are always judging, right? Human nature is that we are constantly judging and making judgments, even the least judgmental of us. This is how we decide things, right? We decide, is this a good person to go with? Is this not a good person to go with? Should I go this way? Should I go that way? We're constantly judging. And of course, our judgment is also constantly being uh, influenced by what we call our Yetzer Hara and our Yetzer Hatov. We have biases, whether they're internal whether they're external, but ordinary people like ourselves are controlled by the judgments of both. And that's why we have to ask for divine assistance to help us decide in favor of our good inclination, right? You know, as I like to say, very often we'll take the short, long road because we'll make decisions that are based on our Yetzirah, the easy fix, the quick way, what feels good. And of course, then we pay for it later on. So we wanna be able to make decisions with objectivity to the best of our degree. The Katsker Rebbe there, you know, no, just, just uh, you know, we wanna make our decisions based on sound judgment and solid values. 
So we should always be checking ourselves. Like, as I said, interestingly, somebody once said the word rationalize, right? When people rationalize, if you break that word up, it's crazy, but it actually means rational lies, right? We tell ourselves rational lies in order to rationalize our behavior, okay? So we have to be very careful about that. The Dubno Magi tells a story about this. The Dubno Magi, who was a great storyteller before Rabbi Pesach Krohn, who we have in our generation, he was the storyteller of, I don't know when he lived, not so long ago, actually. So he tells a story about somebody who's in the forest and he's walking through the forest and he sees this very strange sight. He sees an arrow on many, many trees that the arrow seems to have been shot with a perfect bullseye because around every arrow on the tree is a circle. And as he's walking through the forest, he eventually meets the, I don't know what you call the guy who shoots the arrows, but anyway, he meets up with a guy who's got his bows and arrows on his shoulder. And he says, hey, do you know anything about this? And he said, yeah, that's me. And he said, well, what are you doing? He said, well, what I do is I shoot my arrow and then I draw a circle around it. Right? So I, I never lose. I always get my target. <laughs> and the Dubno Magid explains that's what we do very often. That we have to be so careful because so often we shoot the arrow and then we draw a circle around it to say, aha, uh -huh, I'm, you know, this is this is the best decision, this is the right thing to do, but perhaps we're in the grip of rationalizing and we have to be very careful. In Parsha Shoftim, it says that you should set up judges and officers, Shotrim the Shoftim. Right, or Shoftim, but Shotrim. Um, I don't have the exact line here, but basically it says that you should set up or appoint judges and officers over yourselves. And the Katsuka Rebbe reads this in a deeper way. He says, no, it's not just talking about judges and officers, which of course is a mitzvah, and we're supposed to set up law, courts of law. It's also one of the seven mitzvahs, B'nai Noah, the one of the seven mitzvahs for non Jews. Right, righteous non-Jewish people. They have seven mitzvahs. It's called B'nai Noach because they were given to Noach. And one of them is that, that, that they are supposed to set up courts of law. So um, the Katsuka Rebbe goes deeper and he says, judges and officers mean that you should set them up over yourself because we all have eyes, ears, and a mouth but he's basically talking here about the judges and officers being your eyes and your ears, that you need to set up guards. In other words, be careful what you look at. Because we learn in the Shema prayer, don't go after your eyes and after your heart. And of course, the rabbis there explain that when you look at something, you might desire it. Your heart will desire it. And if it's something that's improper or something that is not the ways of the Torah, you need to set up guards of where you look. It's in your control. And the same thing, of course, with our ears. Our ears and our eyes are gateways into our minds. 
which affect our feelings, which affect our actions. So the Kotzka Rebbe saying again, when it comes to self-judgment, be careful. You need to set up a police department, right? Judges and officers presiding over your eyes and your ears so that you only allow in what is acceptable, what is proper, and therefore you can be a judge over yourself. You can watch out for bias and things that bribe you when you yourself are judging. It will help you to be honest with yourself and also that you shouldn't be too lenient with your own self-evaluation. I couldn't find the story, but there's even a story of a judge who didn't even know that somebody had slipped a gold coin into his pocket before the case that he was presiding over. He was completely unaware of it, but he was so sensitive, or it's the idea that God really protects wise and righteous judges that they should make the right decisions. And so even though he didn't know that it was there or that it had been put there, he felt something was off. He felt something was off. He had that sensitivity. And at some point he put, puts his hands in his pocket and he discovers that coin that somebody had slipped in there. Okay, so this is obviously a story that shows the incredible you know, even spiritually, when we don't know something, or, you know, you could say, I think a few classes ago, I don't know which class, but we said that people who are prayed for, who don't even know they're being prayed for, according to the studies and the research done at the Body Mind Clinic at Harvard, that used to be run by a man named Dr. Herbert Benson, that people who are prayed for and don't even know they're being prayed for still do better than another group who are uh, not prayed for. Okay, so it's that idea. Um, okay, what are we saying when we say Hashiva Shofkenu Kevarishona? Another way of interpreting this. Restore our judges like in earlier times. Krishona again refers to our personal lives. It refers to the embryonic stage. When we, all of us, according to the Medrash, we're learning Torah in our mother's wombs under the tutelage of an angel. Of course, during that time, we had no Yetzirah. Only good affected us and we were righteous. So we're asking Hashem, help us to make our judgments based on this earlier, pure, totally good place without the bothersome Yetzir Hara that will like to get involved. Help us to be able to go back to that. And then we say the Yoetzenu Kvatfila, a Yoetzet or a Yoetz is somebody who's an advisor. So we want advisors or counselors like we had it at the beginning of time. Who are we referring to? It's referring to the history of our nation which enjoyed the leadership and guidance of the best counselors. And who were these counselors? The counselors refers to the authentic prophets, to the Naveen in earlier days that we enjoyed, who offered wise advice in both spiritual and temporal affairs. So we said in other classes that the prophets 
which disappeared after the destruction of the second temple. Okay, that even when we spoke about the refuah bracha, the bracha about medicine, that in olden times, instead of going to a doctor, people would go to a navi, to a prophet to find out why they were ill. Because it was so clear in those days in which there was a much more, people lived on a much uh, more heightened spiritual awareness. It was clear that if there was something wrong with your body, it meant that there was something amiss in your spiritual um, avoda. So you'd go to a prophet to ask what you needed to fix in order to be able to fix. And of course, even today, we know that many, many illnesses are caused by psychosomatic, emotional, something is out of sync, right? Even the word disease is really two words, dis-ease, right? That there's a certain um, unequilibrium that's going on that creates dis-ease, okay? So in olden times, the Vilna Gaon tells us a prophet could simply study a person's facial features and identify the nature of that person's soul and its designated course in life. And he could help them do tshuva and guide them on their mission in life. So if they were off course, if they were heading down the wrong road, a prophet could realign them based on his understanding and knowledge of who you are and what your mission is. I once joked that when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, I was in New York, always exciting to live in New York, uh, to, to visit New York. I think I was in uh, Greenwich Village or one of these, you know, hippie places. And there was a sign somewhere that said, you know, come in and we'll read your wrinkles. <laughs> and uh, I don't even know if I had many wrinkles in those days, but whatever, I think I went in there. But, you know, that's the closest we could get maybe. Of course, it was probably a charlatan of some kind. But, um, you know, that's what the prophets could do. They could look at your face and know exactly who you were, who you were in terms of your soul and what you were supposed to be accomplishing in this world. Okay, then we say, remove from us sorrow and groaning. Why these words? We don't say these words in any other prayer. We don't say them when we're asking for healing. You know, remove from us the pain and the, the, the groaning and the misery of, of being sick. We don't say it when we're asking for redemption or even when we're asking for forgiveness. So why is this? The rabbis ask, why is it only in this prayer regarding judgment, justice? Because the rabbis teach us that injustice crushes the human spirit like nothing else. A corrupt judge who condemns or chastises there is nothing more frustrating than to be the victim of crime or violence and have no ability to bring the matter to justice. The Talmud teaches injustice drives away all joy. My husband works for the Beit Dean here that does um, Choshen Mishpat 
you know, judges monetary disputes. And I mean, I don't know much about what goes on there, but every so often somebody calls or, you know, he's walking around holding the phone up, somebody's screaming and yelling on the phone. But I've just gotten a small taste from that alone of the admas nefesh, we would say, the pain and the suffering that people go through when they're involved in any kind of court case and seeking justice. It's extremely difficult and emotional. Um, you know, even if we get a parking ticket and we go and fight it, you know how difficult that is. So it says that when the Sanhedrin, who were the judges of earlier times, were dismantled, all singing ceased from places of feasting. So again, another example of why we say remove our sorrow and our groaning, because not having proper judges and justice systems in place, there's no greater, uh, um, there's no greater thing that drives away joy. And then we go on and we say, you Hashem alone, we want you to reign over us. With kindness and with compassion. So what does this mean? Why are we asking Hashem alone with kindness and compassion? So this refers to the idea that human beings can, be, can issue overly harsh verdicts. And that very often there are judges who out of their own insecurities will sometimes issue a verdict that is way beyond in its strictness and severity than it needed to be, right? We only have to recall Jonathan Pollard, who, thank God, you know, was recently released due to our last, the last American president, right? Or even some say Rubashkin. The point is, is that if there's anti-Semitism involved in the judgment of the judge or any kind of judge, it doesn't have to be an anti-Semitic judge, a bias, a reason for giving an extra strict judgment, which was uncalled for, this is what can happen with human judges. So we're asking Hashem, we want you to be our judge because Hashem, you always judge with kindness and compassion. You don't have what we call negias, right? You don't have any kind of subjectivity or bias. You judge with compassion, which is mixed together with justice. Like we always say, when God judges somebody, he doesn't just look at the person themselves. He looks at the ramifications of how that judgment is going to affect everyone in their lives, right? If Paul is going to be thrown into jail, how's that going to affect his wife? How's it going to affect his kids? How's it going to affect his kids' shidduchim? How's it going to affect his great uncle? There is, you know, it's endless the way Hashem can look and see. And that's why we call Hashem the, the true judge. Because he isn't only judging the person. He's judging the entire scenario, not just for now, but for the future with the future, the, the past, the present, and the future all together, right? And only Hashem can do that. And that's why we say, you alone, Hashem, we want you to judge us, right? With kindness and compassion. Um, 
and justify us through judgment. What does that mean, justify us through judgment? So it has a number of meanings, but here we're going to focus on the idea that it's talking to us, that we have a mitzvah to judge others favorably. But tzedek tishpot amitecha, we are supposed to be like God, right? We are created, we were created, but selam elokim in God's image. And the idea is that we can be like God. The same way God is compassionate, you should be compassionate. The same way God is patient, you need to be patient. The way God tolerates insults over and over again, you need to tolerate insult. The way God forgives, you need to forgive others. So the same idea here that we are constantly judging others. And we're being asked that we do so with righteousness. But tzedek, tishpot amitecha. We're obligated to give someone the benefit of the doubt. You know, I, I was Zoha, I merited to have Rebetzin Samet as one of my teachers in Jerusalem. Rebetzin Weinberg really got us the best teachers who were the mavens on all of the subjects that were very... Um, much studied, which one of them is, of course, the laws of Lashon Hara, what you can say, what you can't say. And she used to, you know, she was very entertaining. She actually reminded me a bit of Barbara Streisand, but okay, that's another point. I used to think that when Mashiach comes, she's going to have a talk show. You know, instead of Johnny Carson, we'll be watching the Revis and Samet, what you can say and can't say show. But anyway, she used to say that when it comes to ourselves, we always have a million reasons for why we did what we did. You know, I was tired. I was hungry. I didn't know. I, I, I wasn't there. I, you know, we, can, we come up with a, a zillion reasons and it's so easy. It, it, we don't even have to think about it. But she, she used to say, but when it comes to another person and trying to find one benefit of the doubt for why they did what they did, we've got to rack our brains. You know, we've got to be like, Okay, you know, we, 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 you know we, we've got to come up with something totally absurd even sometimes. But when it comes to ourselves, we have no problem with that, right? Or if we're defending our kid. So she says, the same way you do it for yourself, you know, try to find one or two for the other person. And the truth is, is when you do that, you use a part of your brain that is basically very dark. I remember when I first started learning about the laws of Lashon Har, I felt like, you know how they always say that we only use like, you know, 0.1% of our brain power. So, you know, when I first started learning about this Jewish concept of like judging others favorably and, you know, looking for the zahud, looking for some merit, I thought, ding dong, it's like a light bulb went off and part of my brain that had been dark my entire life, you know, like... No, what you see is what you get. Isn't that what we learn, right? And it's like, oh, I guess that's what they me meant by, you know, part of my brain being totally like turned off. And when you turn that part of your brain on, one of the things I noticed whenever I've been successful at this, right, is that even the most absurd thing that you make up to give the other person the benefit of the doubt, you will still end up being closer to the truth of what really happened then you will be by just going with your eyes and what you think and judging in that kind of immediate way of, oh, I know, I know what they're doing. I remember this crazy story that Robinson Samet told about some woman, you know what it's like in Israel, there's those big garbage dumps in the middle of, 
I don't know if they still have them because they were starting to do those underground garbage, but whatever. They used to have these huge garbage dumps filled with garbage, especially in the religious neighborhoods. And she told a story that I never forgot, even though it's kind of a weird story, about some woman in the neighborhood who would take her garbage out and she'd literally hang food on these garbage dumps. And like people would see her and they think, what kind of a mashugana is she? I mean, we don't have enough problem with the garbage. She's like, not even like, can't you just put it in the garbage dump instead of letting? Anyway, it turned out that this woman was a cat lover. And of course, you know about cats in Israel, right? There's a, there's a joke in Israel that if you throw a stone, you're either going to hit a cat or an Eisenbach. Eisenbach or some big family in Jerusalem. He used to be the chief of police, a religious guy in Israel. Anyway, um, so <laughs> who's laughing? Oh, good. There's somebody laughing. I'm not the Renee. only one. Okay. Renee, I'm the big Renee, Renee, good. You unmuted <laughs> yourself for a laugh. Anyway, the point is, is, you know, they realized this woman was a huge cat lover. She finally explained to anybody who yelled at her. And she didn't want the cats to have to jump into these deep garbage bins and scrummage around for food. She figured she'd make it easier for them. Okay. So that was one of the reasons that who would think of that, right? You lazy person, just throw your garbage in properly, whatever it is. Okay, so the Baal Shem Tov actually says, first of all, just one other point that we talk a lot about in Hakpada, that the way you judge other people is exactly the way Hashem will judge you. Mita keneged mita, measure for measure. If you look for excuses for other people, you try to give them the benefit of the doubt, even if you're way off, God will do the same thing for you. He'll say, you know what? She was tired. She was hungry. She didn't know. Whatever it is, to the degree that you do that, that you show compassion and you judge others with righteousness, God does the same for us. So we really want to do this. It's good for us, right? For our own sake, if it's purely Machiavellian, it's a good reason to do it. Okay, the Baal Shem Tov says something else, which is another crucial idea when it comes to this, that the Baal Shem Tov says that when you see someone sinning, know that you're guilty of the same sin. That there's a reason that God made you see it. Anything that you see that comes into your purview, you know, why did I have to see that accident? Why did I have to see that corrupt act right now whatever it is it doesn't have to be anything large you know it's like in the torah we have the story of the nazir right that he becomes a nazir why because he sees the degradation of the sota the sota was the woman who was committed of adultery and perhaps she got drunk and perhaps she went off with the wrong man and this and that so he takes it upon himself to abstain from wine and of course, I'm not going to go into it because we don't have a lot of time. But the idea was, is that he figured if I saw this, if I was walking by at the time when this was happening, then it's not just stum. It's not just, you know, a coincidence. It's because God wanted me to see this, to learn something from it. What can I take from this? What is this message to me? And so too, the Baal Shem Tov says, when you see something happening, when you see somebody sinning, you should check yourself. This is the idea of self-judgment. 
do I have a trace of this within my own personality, within the way that I act? When I get really disgusted by the way somebody speaks Lushan Hara or they, you know, don't dress properly or whatever it is. Well, you know, what is it about me that's getting me so hot under the collar? What do I need to work on? You know, this perhaps even self-righteousness that I have, which, you know, is very superficial because I haven't really done the real work of digging into myself, you know? I'm angry when you're dressed like that because there's a part of me that would like to dress like that, right? And I wish I could wear that mini skirt. And that's why I get so angry when I see you in it. Okay, whatever it is. Hashem wants you to see the ugliness of your own ways, right? Like I like to say, when you point a finger at somebody else, there's three fingers pointing back at you. Okay, so often we respond more violently to actions or negative personality traits that we ourselves possess. I said this recently, but I have it here in this class. The child who is most like you very often is the one who drives you the craziest, right? So because we said that the word for tinok, which is child, is the same word for tikkun, the same letters in the word tikkun, repair. When you see yourself objectively, you go, ugh, you know? They learned that from me? Check yourself, check yourself. The Maharal Diskin says, God says, I won't judge you. I'm not gonna judge you. I'll let you judge yourself by the way you judge other people. The way you judge the sinner is how I'm gonna judge you. If you judge them leniently, I'll judge you leniently. If you judge them strictly, Guess what? I'm going to use that same measuring stick on you. Okay, the last bracha. The last bracha is Baruch Hashem Melech Ohev Tzedakah Mishpat. Blessed are you, God, King. Again, not often that we have the word King in the last bracha. The King who loves Tzedakah, righteousness. We're using the word Tzedakah as Tzedek. Right, righteousness, which of course is also charity, because when we give charity to those who have less than us, we are practicing righteousness. We're a writing things. We're creating uh, something that's imbalanced in the world. We're bringing it back to balance. When the rich give to the poor, when those with more give to the needy, we're creating tzedek, justice and balancing the scales. Okay, but here we're talking about righteousness and judgment. Blessed are you, God, the king who loves righteousness and judgment. So nowhere else does it say melech in the concluding bracha. Because we're talking about God here. And we're saying that when it comes to people, there's no one else who's above the law except for God. No one. <clears throat> no. <laughs> but people with money people with power rulers they often consider themselves above the law they'll tend to abuse power but not Hashem Hashem is a melech who loves justice and righteousness and he uses his divine power to enforce it for everyone Okay, 
Hashem has a special love for justice. Now, in no other bracha does it say that God loves what he does. It doesn't say he loves bringing refua to the sick, right? He loves giving parnasa. He loves justice. It says in Pirkei Avos, one of the three pillars which support the world, in Pirkei Avos chapter 1, Mishnah 18, it says the world stands on truth, on judgment, and on peace. And because Hashem loves justice, as I said earlier, we're commanded to appoint judges over every community. And he says at first, Hashem tells us, at first human beings will do this out of fear. They'll obey out of fear. But eventually what they're, where they're supposed to get to is to a place where they learn to love and respect the law. The more we abide by the law, wearing masks and social distancing, the more we will love Hashem. In turn, he will love us and shower us with bounty, right? There's so much written about how Jewish people are supposed to follow the laws of the land. Whatever country we live in, whatever government we live in, as long as it's not telling us to go against Torah, right? Or telling us to do things that are anathema to Torah. The Jewish way is to follow the laws of the land and to love justice. Because if not for justice, if not for the laws, people would devour each other alive, as it says in another place in Pirkei Avos. So the more we abide by the law, the more we will love Hashem, and he will love us and shower us with bounty. And as I said earlier, one of the mitzvot of the B'nai Noach, of the non-Jewish world, is to set up courts of justice. And God himself joins the judges when they are judging, when they are litigating. He pays very close attention to their decisions. He, so to speak, comes down. And the Shekhinah, his presence, is very much there in the courtroom with the righteous judge. He helps a righteous judge. He grants them divine perception, Ruach HaKodesh, if you like, which helps the judge discover the truth. So we have an assurance with this bracha that the genuinely righteous judge will never be deceived by false witnesses. Oh, and just on time for a change, we're going to end. Where's Fern? She likes when I'm right on time. She's already gone. Okay. Anyway, um, the last bracha, right? We said that every bracha, the last bracha is said by the malachim, by angels, inspired by what the malachim said. And it's perfect because it's right in sync with our next parsha. So it says that this bracha, Baruch Mishpat, was said by the angels when Hashem commanded Moshe. Um, next week, Parsha, it's the very first Pasuk. These are the judgments that you should put in front of them. These are the judgments that you should put before the Jewish people. The ministering angels chanted, Baruch atah Hashem, Melech Oheid Tzedakah Umishpat. Blessed are you, God, who loves righteousness and judgment. Okay, so that's the end of our class today. Thank you. Let me just... Oh. Thank you.